this week to our life group getting started. It's so great to connect with people, build each other up in faith, and really encourage you to pray about getting in a life group, especially as we start out the year. It's a great time to jump in. And we are in a series right now, A Greater Love, and Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? There's so many commandments in the Bible, they're life-giving, but what's the greatest? And Jesus said to love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the greatest thing we can do every single day is to love God with our whole being and to love the people around us with God's love. And yet we know that, but we can all admit sometimes we kind of run out of love and sometimes there's a shortage of love in our lives, in our hearts, in our country. There's a shortage of love. And where do we go? We go to Jesus. He is the source of love. He is the one who fills us up with his love so that our relationships and our conversations and our attitude look different. They look more like Jesus. And this is a series where we're drawing close to Jesus. We're diving into the word. We're experiencing more of his love. And we've been looking at different aspects the kindness of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, and today, the persistence of Jesus, a persistent love. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. If you brought a Bible with you or on your phone, you can turn to Matthew chapter 26. And this is also a time as we begin this year, intentional prayer and fasting. And that's a tradition here at Grace the last six years, but not just to do something that's a ritual, a religion, or a tradition, but we believe the best way to start the year is to slow down and to listen and to seek God and to pray. And with everything going on right now, I, I couldn't think of anything wiser to do than to pray and fast as we start this year. And if you missed the first week, we're one week in, you can start up this week, the next two weeks. Some people are fasting from social media. Some are fasting from entertainment, television, movies. Some are fasting from desserts. Some are getting up earlier in the morning to pray, to get more time in God's Word. Some are fasting a meal a day. There's lots of different options. Whatever helps you draw close to God in your relationship with God. But together, you see that in the Bible, individually and together, seeking God through fasting and prayer. And I don't know what this last week has been like for you, but I'd say there's a lot to process. There is a lot happening in our country. And as you watch what's happening, uh, I want to point out that the primary thing that's happening in our land is there's a battle that goes on between good and evil, light and darkness, between God and sin and all things demonic, and it's manifest in so many different ways. It plays out in so many different ways. And as we think about that reality that the Bible describes and that unseen reality and those unseen spiritual battles, and we take that in together, I want to encourage you to not end up in a place where you feel like things are hopeless or a place of resentment and bitterness or a place of division or despair. 
this is not from God. It's not from God. To end up in despair and fear and worry and hatred, that is not where God is leading you during this time. And you say, well, okay, well, what, what do we know and what would be good? I'll tell you what we know. God is still on the throne. He hasn't fallen asleep. He hasn't fallen off the throne. He hasn't fallen short of a power and a plan and redemption and the final say and being with us right now. So we want to trust God together. We want to seek God together. And what does the Bible say to do when a nation needs healing? What, what does the Bible say to do when a nation needs to return to God? That's right. I'm hearing it. Humble. Repent. God says, starting with people who know him, that's where he starts. The people who follow him and know him, this is what he says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's so clear in the Bible. When your nation's in trouble, in many different ways, humble yourself. So let's do that now. Let's seek the Lord, and let's do it with a humble spirit. Father God, we give you praise. We worship you. We trust you, and we're following you together. And God, we pray uh, with the psalmist, with David, oh God, search our hearts. Search our hearts. See if there's any wicked ways and lead us in the way that's everlasting. Lead us in your way. Father, we want to turn from sin right now. Turn from idols. Turn from the things that we place ahead of you in our lives. We want to confess, God, that so often we get bitter. God, we want to confess that we overstep God, we want to confess that we try to over-control. We confess to you our worries and our fears, that we enter into places of despair. God, we drift from your word. We confess impurity. We confess pride. We confess lawlessness in our land, God. It's not right. We ask for your grace poured out. We thank you for your patience. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for healing. We turn from our sins today. We worship you. We pray for healing in our land. We pray that, God, we would return to you. Turn to you, Jesus. You are the truth, the way, the life. And we seek you together now. We follow you. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The main idea of the message today is that Jesus' persistent love goes beyond feelings, temptations, and preferences. We're going to look at a passage here in Gethsemane, Matthew 26, where feelings and temptations and preferences are going one way and love is going the other direction. You're going to be at a crossroads frequently during the day where feelings and preferences and temptations are going one way and God's love is going the other way. And what choice will we make? I'm so glad that Jesus' love didn't stop in Gethsemane when a lot of people, the love would stop, but instead Jesus' love goes all the way to the cross. It goes all the way to the empty tomb. It goes all the way today. It goes all the way for eternity, and it's a very persistent love. I think it's timely for us to put our eyes on Jesus, and it's timely for us to look at how did Jesus live and how did Jesus love. Because as we open up the Bible and see how did Jesus live and how did Jesus love, that's the same way that he leads us today. And we can have confidence in his leadership. Uh, Gethsemane is the setting right here. Gethsemane means oil press. And this was a garden where Jesus would frequently go with the disciples. 
Just before this was the Last Supper in the upper room. Now, the people who wanted to kill Jesus, they didn't really uh, know the location of the upper room, but this was a very predictable location. And this is just before he's going to be taken away to be crucified. And this is a garden where they knew they could find him. Judas is going to show up with a crowd, with clubs, with swords. And they knew this is where Jesus goes with the disciples. This was Gethsemane, the oil press, where there were olive trees all around. This was a garden, and this is a place that they would press and press to create and to obtain the oil. A place of pressing. Maybe 2020, 2021, you felt a pressing, a testing, a squeezing. There's a testing in Jesus' life right here. There's a testing that's happening in our lives right now. Someone was playfully saying, 2021, I thought it was going to be so different than 2020. It doesn't feel that different, does it? And and they joked around and said, you know, we're past the seven-day warranty, but can we return 2021 still? Can we get a a new start to this year? Because I was kind of hoping it would be different. Well, we're not going backward. We're trusting the Lord. We're going forward together. And Jesus was going forward, trusting the Father in Gethsemane. Jesus starts with the twelve. And then he moves forward, and there's the inner three. Jesus had Peter, James, and John, the inner three that he would often invite into settings that maybe the others weren't there, but he would invite them in, and he gave them this intimate look into his soul, into his heart, into his life. Now, there's going to be disappointment. Peter, James, and John in this passage, there's disappointment. And you know what? It won't be the end of the disappointment. There's more disappointment to come as they're going to desert and deny Jesus during this critical time. Uh, There's going to be people in your life who you kind of think of as your inner circle, friends and family, and you're relying on them and you invite them in and sometimes they're going to disappoint you. In those key times in your life, you're going to think the people that are right there are right there, but they're not right there. And the tough times... And they reveal who really has your back. They reveal who's faithful. They reveal who's loyal. In Jesus, there's some realities with Peter, James, and John that are not easy in this passage. He's invested his life in them. And it just tells us that if Jesus invested his life and he chose these three and they were from the Father and they let him down, we're going to be dealing with this reality in our lives as well. And yet, in the middle of that, Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Love is the best choice. Jesus is going to choose love in a persistent love. Just because they fail him here doesn't mean he's going to give up on them. And even though their commitment wavers, his commitment doesn't waver. Uh, Love leads to action, but love is ultimately a choice and a commitment. We want to step up during these times. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to step up. We want to speak up. We want to stand up during these times. But it really starts with a decision to love. And that's a decision all of us make every day, to love, and it's the best decision. When you think about uh, what Jesus was going through, uh, he's going to say yes to suffering right here. He's going to say yes to the cross And it really is happening in Gethsemane. Let's dive into Matthew chapter 26 and starting in verse 36 as we dive into God's word. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
He took Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow, to the point of death. This is the maximum amount of sorrow. And it really means that there's a heaviness. Have you felt a heaviness (laughs) tied into sorrow lately? When you're sorrowful and you see things that are so difficult to watch, there can be a heaviness to it. And Jesus has been through storms where everyone thought they were going to die, He's seen shortage where it looked like people would die because they didn't have food. He's driven out demons. He's seen demonic. He's seen temptations. He's seen corruption in leadership. He's seen a lot of things. But this point right here is when his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Would you notice that our Savior is vulnerable and it's healthy to be vulnerable? It's really important in life to identify your feelings and then be able to say them and share them with other people and let other people in. Jesus is so vulnerable in the Bible, and I think a lot of times we're afraid to be vulnerable. We kind of put up this religious front, but we don't really want to get real or raw or deep with people, and that's not Jesus. Jesus is very authentic, very vulnerable. And out of that vulnerability, he brings this request, keep watch with me, be alert, and pray. He is calling Peter, James, and John to be alert and pray. I believe Jesus is calling you in this season, in this season right now, to be alert, don't fall asleep, be alert, and fast and pray. And he says this cup. In the Bible, the cup can mean two different things. The cup can be a cup of blessing. Psalm 23, David says, my cup overflows And maybe you've had days and seasons where it just feels like God has opened up the floodgates of heaven and this provision and this blessing and this too, and you just say, wow, my cup overflows. But cup can also mean suffering, and that's what it means here, wrath, suffering. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on Jesus. Imagine in your life just glimpses you've had of the wrath of God. Maybe there's been a consequence for sin. Maybe there's a feeling that you've had when you know that you've rebelled against God. Imagine what you've experienced times billions. And beyond that, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on Jesus, who's going to become sin so that we can have the righteousness of God. This exchange is coming. This cup, it's the wrath of God, and Jesus is taking all this sin. It's the hardest to drink, the wrath of God. How do you drink that cup? And this cup right here, Jesus is going to say yes because of his persistent love. And love is seen in the sacrifice. Love is not just seen in the words. A lot of people are going to have the words, but love is seen in the sacrifice. And when you think about the sacrifice of Jesus, one passage that was earlier chronologically but has some parallels, and this is from John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
He was speaking about his life through his death. Many would have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but he was going to need to die. That colonel would die in the ground. And the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, some people are self-consumed, and it's not really life. Life is lost. But for the one who invests and serves his life, look what is gained. Whoever serves me, Jesus says, must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Again, my Father will honor the one who serves me. And then Jesus says, vulnerable again, now my heart is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Uh, What are we going to pray? God, we don't want to walk through 2021. No, for this very time, for this very hour, what is our prayer? Father, glorify your name in our heart, in our churches, in our homes, in our nation. Father, glorify your name. What a great prayer to pray during this time. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is saying yes to the cross. He has a clear goal, the glory of the Father. Persistence needs a wise goal. You can be persistent in a whole lot of things in life that are not really from God. You can be persistent about things that are kind of foolish or kind of petty or kind of secondary. You can really dig your heels in on a whole bunch of stuff in life, but persistence needs a wise goal. The goal here, in terms of a place, was Gethsemane. There are many things that are happening. Jesus was going to a place where he could pray. Part of it was to pour out his heart to the Father. Part of it was to abide with the Father, a relational closeness with the Father before the cross. But it was also part of the plan of redemption, to rescue and save sinners. Jesus had a clear goal. Jesus had a wise goal. And those who pray persevere. Say, who's going to persevere well during this time? that we're going through right now. It's going to be the people who pray. You can persevere in all sorts of ways. You can persevere in rebellion. You can persevere your own way. But when you pray and you're in alignment with God, abiding with God, you persevere differently. And maybe you've noticed some people that have been a little different the last few months. Like, they still have strength. They still have joy. They still have peace. What's going on? Prayer and perseverance. They still have love. It's a joy to be around them. They still have kindness. What's going on? Praying and persevering go together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. This has been a, a prayer I've come back to so many times. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love in Christ's perseverance. In other words, may we be secure in God's love so that we can persevere like Jesus. We want to persevere like Jesus. He's the one we follow. He's the one we imitate. And I believe during times of testing, it's revealed, what do we really care about? What's really important to you? What is really, really important? What would the people around you say is really important to you? Sometimes uh, there's hobbies that capture our passion and attention. Gaming is really popular. It's more popular than it was, I think, 10 years ago. For some people, it's just a driving passion, and you can tell it's a certain hobby. For other people, it's finances, it's savings, it's the retirement, and what they're watching there is what they care most about. For some, it's a job, a career, a promotion, certain goals. For other people, it's just protecting what's comfortable. They wouldn't say that, 
But if you really look at their lives, what's most important is protecting what is comfortable. And I believe that what we care most about gets revealed, and I pray that what we care most about is being faithful to God. And that, what does that look like, to be faithful to God? That is to love people with a persistent love. It's seen in the way we love people. If our heart is to be faithful to God and abide with God, then the primary evidence will be the way that we love people. But if our heart is drifting and we have idols, it's going to affect the way that we love people. It's revealed. It's revealed. Uh, What do we need to do right now? I think this is a really key time to slow down and to listen as we start the year, as we start the year. There's a time of prayer and fasting to make sure our hearts are in the right spot, to make sure we've forgiven people, to make sure we're in alignment with God's word, to make sure we're in alignment with heaven, to seek God, to abide. This is a key time right now, and ultimately, to have a wise goal. If you have a compelling vision, you'll say no to a lot of temptations, a lot of petty stuff, because you have a compelling vision. Jesus, there was a vision. It was a vision of redemption. It was a vision of glorifying the Father. It was a vision of people getting rescued. And if your vision is on track with heaven, that will empower you to say no to a lot of things that God wants you to say no to. Again, persistence needs a wise goal. Let's go to the next level as we walk through this text. Take a look at verse 40. Look what happens next. Jesus returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Persistence is necessary for redemption. God had a plan then. God has a plan today. I guarantee you, God has a plan right now. Uh, Jesus returns, and what does he do? He rebukes. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12? God rebukes. God disciplines those he loves. Because God loves you just like a parent who loves their children, God will discipline and rebuke his daughters and his sons. And he does it with the heart of love. And on the heels, this rebuke is on the heels of Peter, who in verses 33 and 35 just declared confidently, God, I will never, Jesus, I will never forsake you. And then what happened here? Following that declaration, Jesus says, one hour, just pray and be alert. Be with me for one hour. Are they going to do it? No, they're falling asleep. They're falling asleep. Have you ever noticed it's hard to pray? Am I the only one here who ever feels like it's hard to pray? It's hard to prioritize prayer. Sometimes it's hard to talk during prayer. And sometimes it's just hard to be diligent or be deep and wrestle in prayer. Do you ever feel that? That's what Peter, James, and John are feeling right here. They had a lot of reasons to fall asleep. They had good reasons to fall asleep. Look at everything they're going through. Look at all the tension. Look at the sorrow. They had some sense that Jesus wouldn't be with them longer. He's said this a number of times. He's talked about his death. He's talked about the Holy Spirit coming. Things are heating up. People want to kill Jesus. It's getting more fierce. They're exhausted. They've been through a lot. Their eyelids are heavy. They want to sleep. They've got good reasons to sleep. We've got good reasons to sleep and to not pray. It's easy to rationalize for them. It's really difficult to mobilize other people to pray. 
It's really difficult. In America, sometimes our strong muscles are method, our strong muscles are technology, we have a lot of resources you can study, we've got these in abundance. But it's really hard in America to find fervent prayer meetings where people want to pray and they want to seek God together and they want to humble themselves and they want to turn from sin and they want God's presence and they're so hungry. It's hard to find that in our country. If you said, I want to go to one of those this week, it's kind of hard to find because we're not always quick to pray. It's difficult to pray. It's difficult to mobilize other people to pray. It's difficult for Jesus to do that. And yet, what does the Bible say? Pray, fast, seek his face. Put on your spiritual armor. Put on your spiritual armor. There's a passage in Ephesians 6. Here's a couple verses. Spend some time in Ephesians 6 this week. It says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Again, there are flaming arrows, and maybe you've felt some of these. The shield of faith, they would douse it in water so that the flaming arrows would not consume. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon, you have a sword. It's God's word. So spend time in God's word. Think about God's word. Do God's word. And it is powerful in a spiritual battle. God's word is powerful. Also pray in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We need to be alert. We need to pray for each other. We need to put on the spiritual armor of God. This is not a time where it's enough just to have a little knowledge and maybe get a little more knowledge. This is not a time where it's enough just to show up at church one hour and then just kind of do whatever the rest of the week. This is not a time to just kick back and, hmm, let me critique sermons, let me critique worship, let me critique the PowerPoint. This is not the time. This is the time right now is spiritual armor. This is a time of fierce spiritual battle right now. And you say, well, what's going to happen if you don't have the spiritual armor of God? You're going to fall into temptation. Many people are just drifting away right now. Many people lukewarm right now. Many people uh, just choosing rebellion right now. And you say, which, which way are we going to go as a nation right now? Which way is my heart going to go? Uh, Peter, James, and John were there when Jairus' daughter was dead. And Jesus showed up on the scene. And people, there was a lot of mourning and wailing. There was just confusion and, and there was pain. And Jesus showed up and said, Jairus' daughter is not dead, but she's asleep. And people kind of laugh and ridicule that. What do you mean asleep? She is dead. She is physically dead. It's, it's over. And I want to say that the church right now is not dead. It's not over. Sleep? Yeah, a little asleep. But, but the church is not dead, just a little sleepy. And then what does Jesus say? Get up. And he says, eat, eat. You know what we need to do? We need to rise up, step up, stand up, eat, eat the word of God. Uh, when Elijah was in despair in the cave, the angel ministered to him and said, all right, now eat a little bit. Eat a little food. Get some nourishment for your body. Get some nourishment for your soul. Get the nourishment from God's word. Put on the spiritual armor and abide. Because every day, my fiercest battle will be between the flesh and the spirit. Those are the terms the Bible uses. The flesh or the spirit. Jesus says, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's he talking about? The flesh. When we go the route of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh are obvious. 
Uh, the deeds of the flesh, you're going to see revenge there. You're going to see greed. You're going to see selfishness. You're going to see impurity. I, I've had some people already during the time of fasting and prayer come up and confess some things in terms of purity that were really honest and said, I'm done, I'm done. The deeds of the flesh. You know the flesh when you see it, but then the other route is the Spirit. We say, well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, you know it when you see it. You see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And right now, which way are we going to go, the Spirit or the flesh? And in the spiritual battle, be encouraged by Daniel. You say, why do we fast for 21 days? Well, that comes from Daniel chapter 10, where that's what Daniel did, and he fasted those 21 days. Remember I said the main thing that's happening right now is an invisible battle, a spiritual battle? Well, that was revealed in Daniel that although Daniel faced corruption, I mean, there was government corruption, uh, we won't even get into Nebuchadnezzar. We don't have time for that. But um, Daniel was in exile. It was a terrible situation. But more than what he saw around him, there was the spiritual battle. And this is what was revealed. There was, for 21 days, Daniel humbled himself, prayed, and fasting. And you know what happened? There was a regional demon. Uh, I'm not making this stuff up, folks. This is Bible. Uh, Prince of Persia. And you know what happened? The battle was so fierce between the angels and demons. The archangel, Michael, came down and prevailed. After 21 days, the spiritual battle prevailed. When you fast and pray right now for 21 days, you can't even see all the things that are happening in your family and in the church and in the nation in terms of the invisible spiritual battle. But Daniel humbled himself, prayed, fasting, prayed, fasting. God prevailed. God prevails today, but we also have a role, and God calls his people to pray and to fast. And you say, well, what should we pray? Here's five words we can pray, just what Jesus prayed. God, may your will be done. That's a powerful prayer. That's worship. We say, God, my life right now, my relationships, my career, where I spend my time, my attitude, may your will be done. Our church, God, where you lead us, may your will be done. God, for our nation, we want your will, your kingdom. We see there's a gap between what's happening right now and your word, your ways, your kingdom. God, may your will be done. And when you pray that, here's the key. It's not just those words. It's linked to worship. And here's the worship, whatever the cost. When Jesus prays, your will be done, here's the attachment. You can't sever this, whatever the cost whatever the cost. Because sometimes we want to pray, may your will be done, God, as long as the cost is kind of medium or low. Uh, God, I want to worship you with all my heart boldly, uh, unless other people don't really want me to, so then I'll just kind of reel it back in and, and fit in. God, I will share my faith if the cost isn't too high and people don't get too upset at me. Uh, God, I will stand on your word and I will tackle injustice as long as I don't rock too many boats and nothing too strange happens. God, I want to fast and pray as long as it doesn't mean getting up early or just my favorite foods. Or You, you see what, how it goes? It's just easy to say as long as the cost isn't too high, then I'm comfortable doing it. That's not what Jesus prayed. May your will be done, whatever the cost and what did the Father say? Because Jesus, wrestling with his feelings, with his preferences, with the plan of God, the plan of the Father, and what did the Father ultimately say? There's, there's no other way but to drink this cup. I want to tell you, as clear as I can, there's no other name by which we can be saved. 
There's no other Messiah. There's no other religious leader. There's only one who's died for your sins. It's through faith alone in Christ alone. All other gospels are a false gospel. All other hopes, they won't prevail for eternity. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through the Son. There's no other way of salvation except through his death and his resurrection. And to say anything else would be to say that his death on a cross was not necessary because we can earn our way to heaven. Uh, that's, a, that's a false gospel. Or to say it was insufficient. He did part, we do part. That's a false gospel. It would be so cruel of the Father to insist that the Son is murdered and tortured if it was not completely necessary, if there was some other way. Now, that might not be uh, uh, popular in our culture, but I'm telling you the gospel truth because I care about souls for eternity. And that works. That is the gospel. It's the truth. And, and so what is Jesus doing? He's praying before he's crucified. Uh, prayer before the crucifixion. Preparing through prayer. If you wanted to start to play with that, like pre-prayer, uh, there's a lot of word plays you can do with prepare and prayer and before it goes down. What's Jesus doing? Praying. Praying. So often in the Bible, God calls us to pray before he moves. He calls his church to pray, and then he pours out the Holy Spirit. In the history in America, what you see is there's awakening. The nation literally changes, but what is the first step? God calls his people to pray. God calls his people to pray. Before they cross the Jordan River, consecrate yourselves. Pray, consecrate yourselves, and seek his face. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, think about awakening our country. This is what he resolved. He said he resolved two things. Number one, I will live for God. And number two, I will live for God. If no one else does, I still will. Could we be resolved? Could we be resolved to live for Jesus, whatever the cost, and live for Jesus if no one else does? How about in worship right now, between you and God, if that's your heart? you would make that a commitment resolve. Jesus, I want to live for you, and I'm going to go all in, even if my spouse, parents, pastor, friends, people I work with, they don't. It's not dependent on that. Jesus, I'm with you. And I'm saying yes. Father, glorify your name. Here's, here's the text as, as we start to wrap up. When he came back, Jesus again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And the principle here is that persistent love is an unselfish investment and will probably be the best thing that you've ever done. The persistent love of Jesus here has a high cost. And I would propose that the very best things and the most significant things that you're going to be involved with, that God's going to lead you to do, are going to have a high cost. And when you think about parenting, uh, is the cost high? <laughs> I mean, you think about the time, the energy, the devotion, the sacrifice, sometimes the finances, the prayers, the emotional roller coaster. I mean, the cost of parenting is really up there, and I can't think of hardly anything that's more significant than that investment as a parent. And you say, well, what if I don't have any children biologically? The investment you can make in Grace Kids, in Grace Students, in Next Gen, there's so many, there's hundreds in our church who serve and invest in that way. It's so significant. And the cost is high, uh, so often, what God calls us to. But we'll look back over our life and say it was so worth it. 
And as I look at what gripped me on this third time back, what gripped me, did Jesus rebuke the disciples the third time? No. Does he say, get up, wake up, the third time? No, he doesn't. What does he do? He just lets them sleep. He just lets them sleep. You know what the Bible says? That when we are persistent in our sin, that sometimes God just kind of lets us go that way. That wakes me up. I don't want to be, as I was praying through this passage, like, I don't want to be so insensitive to the Holy Spirit, so stubborn, that God, when you convict and your spirit moves and you tell me or your word says it, that you wouldn't just think, oh, I'm not even going to bother him anymore. <laughs> He's going that way. Do you feel that one? <laughs> I, I don't want to be in that position. Uh, so Jesus is resolute. The disciples, <laughs> they're resolute on sleeping here. And uh, ultimately, there's a call. There's a, a persistence in his love. There's a call in his life. And this is what happens at the very end of the passage, verse 45. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? He's kind of summarizing what just happened. And he says, look, the hour is near. As he wakes them up, he says, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. And the Bible teaches through contrasts. And don't miss the contrast here. The disciples are sleepy. They're uh, in the flesh. They're selfish. They're distracted. They're lukewarm. They're deceived. They're duped. And what is Jesus? Jesus is alert. Jesus is prayerful. Jesus is on fire. Jesus is unselfish. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. And here's another contrast. Here comes Judas with the clubs and the sword in the crowd. The betrayer is here. What does Judas intend to do? The same thing the devil intends to do. And the Bible says that steal, kill, and destroy. That's the motives. That's the, the goal here. But what does Jesus do? Comes to save, serve, and rescue. And as we follow Jesus... We also want to rescue and serve with the same persistent love that he has. The only way to have that persistent love is to abide with Jesus. And I just want to ask, what do we really want this year? What do we really want? How bad do we want it? And, and I want to end on a, a theme of, of great hope. First, how we can pray for one another. In Colossians chapter 1, and again, don't forget the context for the early church, Nero persecution, religious leaders were corrupt, governments corrupt. I mean, it's a mess. And yet, there's hope. There's a strong hope, the persistent love of Jesus. And sometimes we think, well, how should we pray for each other? This is one of those prayers in the Bible. This is what Paul prays to people he loved, brothers and sisters, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. In other words, how can we live? We can bear fruit. We can step up, be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can grow in knowing God right now. We'll strengthen with power in glorious might. We can have endurance. We can have patience. We can continue to give joyful thanks to the Father. We can live this way. We really can right now. This is not circumstantially based in any way. And, and it's time. It's time for this. I'm going to close with something we can all um, read together. Persistent love prevails. The, the death of Jesus is not the end of the story. There's the resurrection. Persistent love prevails prevails then and today. This is from Christine Kane, and there's um, two slides. 
I want us all in agreement as we just think about how good God is, God's plan that we can trust him, his persistent love. Let's say these together and let's say them out loud. There is no problem so big that God cannot solve. There is no promise too hard for God to fulfill. There is no prayer too small for God to answer. There is no disease that God cannot heal. There is no heart God cannot mend. There is no relationship that God cannot restore. There is no person God cannot save. There is no chaos from which God cannot bring peace. There is no pain that God cannot redeem. There is no sin that God cannot forgive. There is no bondage God cannot break. There is no need God cannot meet. There is no enemy that God cannot defeat. There is no mountain God cannot move. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you, and out of our faith in you, God, we receive Jesus, your love. We see how Peter, James, and John were transformed from this passage to the book of Acts, where they were loving people and meeting needs and laying down their lives and, and spreading the gospel. And Lord, uh, we see the transformation and we pray the same transformation for our hearts and lives, God, for our nation. Jesus, we pray for an awakening, God. We pray for awakening. God, you bring the best work out of so often the bleakest, most dire, most frustrating, most disappointing situations. God, this is your pattern as you call us to pray and fast. I pray we would listen to you. I pray we'd be filled with your Holy Spirit. God, we can't do this on our own strength, but we pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus, with confidence in you, we declare you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't have despair. We're not going to say yes to division. We're not just going to worry all night. But Jesus, we thank you that you are the way. You've made a way. You are the way. We trust you. And God, as we sing this song, Waymaker, I pray as we declare your truth, declare your praises, I pray, God, that our worship would go deeper than our words, but it would be our lives, be our lives for such a time as this. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.